0: I'm so excited to see you online. Um, this is great. I love this series, and I love my life. Can we just say those two things together? I love my, if you love your life and you love the series, just put in the chat, I love my life and I love the series. Um, if you don't love your life and you love the series, then I think after this series, you might love your life. I have that kind of confidence in this series. And so I'm really excited to uh, talk about um, this week and... Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, Nelson again, because Nelson, uh, Pastor Nelson is the one who got the Israelites crossing over the Jordan. And I noticed like we were doing weeks one through five and I I got stuck with, you know, the Rahab story, which is kind of great. God moved, praise the Lord. And then I was really excited about uh, doing the crossing the Jordan uh, sermon, but then it didn't land on my week. It landed on Nelson's week. and so uh that was the one i wanted to preach from the most and then the next week was like the 12 stones i'm like okay lord you got to speak to me and um to be honest like i really wasn't i knew joshua chapter 6 was the walls of jericho and i was really excited to preach that and i'm not on that week either and i had forgotten uh what joshua chapter 5 was about um Just I've read Joshua quite a few times, and so as I was preparing um, the the message this week, I started reading Joshua chapter 5. It's all about the Israelites getting circumcised, so I'm like, great. Okay, so the good weeks go to Pastor Nelson, and I have to try to figure out what in the world—talk about a battle—what in the world does this have to do with battles and blessings? So here we go. Go, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter five, verses one through 12. But before you do that, I forgot I wanted to tell you something. On the way down here, um, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page about the promises of God. Because um, the promises of God, no matter how much I talk about this, we interpret the promises of God as the things we want God to give us, not the things he has for us. See the difference? We interpret the promises of God as the things he wants for us as opposed to the, excuse me, the things that we want as opposed to the things he wants for us. And as I was driving down here, I felt like the Lord, before we get into this week, wanted me to tell you that the, and this is a bold statement, so Lord, forgive me if this isn't the way that you wanted me to express it, but I'm going to do my best. The promises of God are disappointing if you don't understand the love of God because the promises of God um, need to be fueled by the love of God. If you don't know that God loves you, when the promises get tough, you will start to want a different promise, and you will interpret God's love based off how you feel and your comfort, not based off the difficulty. God's promises are difficult. I'm literally walking in the promises of God And if I don't understand that God loves me, I will find his promises to be disappointed, disappointing. And and as I was driving down here, the Lord said, some people are in the promises of God, things that I've promised, not just over them, but their great, 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 great praying grandmother. And they're finding that the promises of God are disappointing because they forgot that I loved them. And here is so important. This is so important. And they think that they're on their way to the promise. Because they forgot, but because they forgot that I love them, they they don't realize they're in it. Uh, it. It's bringing a sense of disappointment to them because it doesn't look like they want it to look or that they thought it would look. And some of you, you're in your promise, but it's hard and you need to be focused on the love of God. There is one thing that will never leave you disappointed, and that is the love of God. So before I read this difficult chapter, I wanna read this verse in Romans 5, verses three through five. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and watch this verse, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us." Have you ever noticed that sometimes you're, you, you step into something that God has for you and you, feel, you find yourself disappointed? And so you think that there's more because you're disappointed. And God wanted me to tell you, prophetically, for some of you, there isn't more. This is it. And you need to remember that I love you, and your perspective will start to turn your problem into a promise. And if you know that God, and this is for somebody I know you're going through a hard time and it's making you think that you're unloved. Disappointment makes us feel unloved. I was having a conversation earlier today with my good friend, JC, and I said to her, as a pastor of this church, I want to master the art of managing my disappointment because I have too much authority and and decision-making skills to be bothered by disappointment. Because when I feel disappointed, I do things in response to my disappointment, not in response to the love of God. And if you're doing that, the promises will feel like problems when they're promises. And so I wanted to just encourage you with that, if it's an encouragement, before I read Joshua chapter five. Are you ready? When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all of the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River, if you're saying what river, I need you to go back and watch Pastor Nelson's message. I've already said, don't miss any of the messages. We can't catch you up right now. So the people of Israel could cross. They lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. When God heard, when they heard what God had done, they were uh, freaked out, um, terrified. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of the Israelites. Great. We crossed the Jordan River, and I'm sure some young man was talking to Joshua I mean, they set up the 12 memorial stones you watched last week. What a prophetic moment as they're setting the stones in the parted River Jordan. And, and, and one of Joshua's sons, maybe teenager, maybe one of the young men said, all right, Joshua, what's next? Now We have the 12 memorial stones. Uh, Dad, why are you sharpening your knife? <laughs> well, son got a word from the Lord. How trusted. when I was reading this verse, I'm like, let me just say this right away. Not that I desire to be trusted more as a leader, but what type of trust would you have to have in your leader to see him sharpen his knife and go, "Well, that's what the Lord said. So I guess this is what we're doing. We can't even get people to come to growth trap. And they had a line out the door for circumcision. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. I can't get people to, like, tithe, And the line was packed. It was like a DMV. Like, you know, in the DMV, when you stand in line, there was young men waiting to stand in line. Joshua sharpened his knife. Young men are just... <laughs> just waiting in line. I'm like, this is the point where I would have been disobedient. Like, I'm just confused at at this word. And the Bible says... You got to circumcise the second generation of the Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibbeth Heraloth. Love that name. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in, in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until... All the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. Remember, God had said because they had been disobedient that none of them would see the promised land. So watch this. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's place for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land after all the males had been circumcised they rested in the camp yeah they did until they were healed then the lord said to joshua today i have rolled away the shame of your slavery in egypt so that place has been called gilgal to this day while the israelites were camped at gilgal on the plains of jericho they celebrated passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. And, and watch this, no manna appeared on, that, on the day they first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. I want you to catch this, that they had been living off manna up until this point. I'm, the, the Bible's hard. Can we tell people all the time that the truth of God's word, you guys, let's have some grace, the Bible's heart. Because what stopped the supernatural provision of manna was the circumcision. And never again did we we see manna. God was providing something miraculous that the Israelites were eating. And then this moment that kind of represents purity happened. Then now the blessing was that they would eat from the crops and crops take work. So the blessing is now not that it's coming to you and you don't have to do anything. From this day forward, you're, you, we're gonna have to partner in what I do. Now you are mature enough for me to ask you to play a role in how you get blessed. Oh, this is good preaching. See, see, a lot of times we think we're not walking in the promises of God, But God is saying, I need to give you a role. As our kids grow older, they have a role in the household that they didn't have when they were babies. You don't set an alarm clock for an infant. You go in the crib and you pick the infant up and you wake the kid up. You don't set an alarm clock and tell your infant. And you, you get what I'm saying? There's this maturity thing that happens, but I want you to also catch this. The Passover was to remember what God had done in Egypt. Now you gotta catch this. What was last week's message? My wife said it so eloquently, put it in the chat. The step, the story, and the stone. So now they're getting ready to remember the stone of Passover, what God did by leading them out of Egypt, and they have to purify themselves to get ready to remember something. One of the things that sin and impurities do is they help you forget. All that God's done, because you are overwhelmed in darkness and you can't see. I, I want you to really understand what this means, and I, I'm not going to be super, like, you know, vulgar about it. We all know what this passage of Scripture is about, but almost everything in the New Testament represents a something in uh, the Old Testament represents something in the New Testament. Nearly everything you see in the Old Testament, if not everything, points to Jesus. And so, oddly enough, when you uh, in in church, these are the passages of Scripture we skip because we like to talk about the walls of Jericho when somebody shout and the walls are coming down. I just see the walls coming down in your life right now. Let me hear your shout. Somebody shout, shout. ah! Those are easy messages to preach. And we skip over messages like this that have a profound impact on your spiritual walk with the Lord. And so, I want to Uh, uh, challenge you with the same challenge I had, how does circumcision point to Jesus? What does this mean? Why would you ask them to do that? Now, there's this thing in the Bible, or in Bible college, and I know this for a fact because I've taken two classes, (laughs) read a lot of books. I mean, two accredited classes. I've done some unaccredited stuff, and I think it should count, but it doesn't. There's this thing called the law of the first mention, meaning that if you want to understand something that's mentioned in the Bible, you got to look at the first time it's mentioned. The first time circumcision is mentioned is God asked Abraham to circumcise himself and all of his sons to uh, seal the covenant, if you will, that Abraham would have a lot of kids, massive amount of descendants. And I always found it interesting, um, and let me just say this because you might have kids watching at home, but I always find this interesting that God caused pain to um, the area that Abraham would reproduce with. And so I believe this is a lesson that often the area of your life that is, has the most pain is the area God wants to reproduce blessing. Wow, you can go ahead and clap with a couple of people in here. I'll, I'll give you time to clap. This is so encouraging. Uh, God chose the the region uh, that Abraham needed to produce the promise. He chose that region to bring pain. So if God wants to bless you financially, he'll often bring pain to your finances. If God wants to bless your marriage, he'll often manifest pain in your marriage. If God wants to use you in your church, He'll often manifest pain in your church. He'll often bring pain to the place that God is going to use to bring the blood. This is good preaching. Come on, put it in the chat this is good preaching. Come on, help me out. I'm preaching on circumcision. Somebody put it in the chat this is good preaching. And so this represents the, the Old Testament picture. Of a New Testament theology represents something called cutting away of the the flesh. So there was a literal physical cutting away of the flesh that represents in the New Testament, a spiritual cutting away of the flesh. Uh, If you're a church person and you grew up in church, you ever heard someone say, yeah, man, I I can't be going to the club because if I go to the club, I'll be all up in my flesh. You ever heard somebody say that? Man, listen, I had to look the other way. That girl had me up in my flesh. You ever heard somebody say that? And so we look at being in the flesh as doing sinful things. So when you're in your flesh, you're sinning. But I want to give you the definition of flesh. It comes from this word, uh, sarx. It's a Greek word. And it means anything you do done apart from faith. Wait a minute, I thought flesh was doing bad things. No, flesh is also doing good things without God. It's not just doing bad things. It's doing good things without God. It, it, it relates, and there's a flesh word because there weren't as many uh, Greek and Hebrew words as there are English words. Our English language is so confusing. We have over 400,000 words, and both of them mean, but in, like Hebrew had just a little over 8,000, and Greek, I don't know, but it wasn't 400,000. And um, so a lot of words need to mean different things. So, yeah, it meant the flesh of the skin, but, but it also meant doing things unaided by God. I I just want you to write this down. Flesh means unaided human effort. So it's whatever you do, if God's not helping you, you're doing it in your flesh. We can be married in the flesh. We can preach in the flesh. We can worship lead in the flesh. We can read the Bible in the flesh. We can talk to people in the flesh. You can be doing a good thing, and if you're doing it without God, you're in your flesh. And, and, and the Bible says flesh profits nothing. So it'll feel good when you're doing it, but it'll end bad everything we do. That's why we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, which means everything we do, God is helping us do it. Everything we do, God is helping us do it. And if God is not helping us do it, then we are typically doing something for an outcome selfishly or to get the praises of people. It's unaided human effort. It, 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 and watch this. It says, this means carnal. Or for my Hispanic homies, carnal. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that from platform. All Hispanic people was laughing. And you're not Hispanic, you're not laughing. <laughs> Me carnal. Um, two different words, but I just wanted to say that. Um, it's empowered by the self. The carnal, the flesh and those words in scripture are too interchangeable, proceed out of the untouched or unchanged part of us that God has not yet encountered. Yeah. Oh, this is good. So it's using the part of you that God hasn't got to quite yet. So some of us, God has gotten to our heart. and That's why we love people so deeply. But when we process things, he has not yet got to our mind. So when we think about something, we think about it in the flesh. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he hasn't yet like, gotten in our mind because we, our mind is our own. And so we say, I'm a big thinker. I say it all the time. I'm a big thinker. I think about big things. And God's saying, no, though, by the Holy Spirit, I need you to think about the details. I know you're not a detailed person, but I need you to be a detailed by the Spirit now. I know in your flesh you're not detailed, but I need you to be more about detailed because I need you to do something and I'll help you be more about the details but in your flesh. So does the Holy Spirit have your mind? That's why the Bible says to love God with your, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind, right? Because it's saying you need to allow God into the spaces. And here is the thing that the enemy loves to do to people. He knows the area you have not yielded. He knows the area that God does not have control over. So God has control over your church attendance, but he doesn't have control over your boyfriend, Choices or your girlfriend choices, and that's the place where the enemy loves to live. It is the untouched, unchanged part. What is not transformed by God, the flesh, going to church is a, is a, is a is a um it's an improvement program. It's not a transformation, and being in your flesh is dangerous. So, when God was getting ready to. Literally, the next chapter are the walls of Jericho are getting ready to come down. Now they're getting ready to get the wealth of Jericho, the influence of Jericho. It's getting ready to go down, and this is the time when it's getting ready to go down. Somebody say it's about to go down. down. When it's about to go down, God breaks out the knife and starts doing surgery. Thankfully not a Joshua chapter five surgery. It is a spiritual surgery where God begins to cut away the things about you that will ruin the things God's getting ready to give you. It, it is a spiritual uh, circumcision. What, what's this? It says, it says in Romans two. Oh no, no, I'm not gonna read that one first. Um, I'm gonna read Romans 2.29, yes. Uh, And they were arguing about what does it mean to truly be Jewish, and at the time they said to be truly Jewish, you got to be circumcised. But uh, Paul, the writer, Paul says this in Romans 2.29, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a changed heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. That, that word heart in the Bible is the same thing as kind of soul, the seat of your emotions. The soul is the mind, the will, and your emotions. So it means that when you are spiritually uh, had surgery, God is in control of your emotions. God is in control of your mind. God is in control of your decision-making. When God is not in control of your mind, not in control of your decision-making, not in control of your emotions, then then what happens is you are operating in the flesh. You are doing things unaided by God. So let's say the enemy knows that God is absolutely in control of your, your will. He knows your heart is to do whatever God would want you to do but your mind you have not yet yielded to the Holy Spirit. So the devil then get, tries to get you to think about things you shouldn't be thinking about because he knows if he, you think about things you shouldn't be thinking about, you'll eventually do things you shouldn't be doing. That's why it's so important to have all of that led by the Holy Spirit. And if something's not, you're just doing it in your flesh. Now you could be doing a good thing, but it's just unaided by God. Colossians 2 Verse 11 says, when you came to Christ, you were uh, circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Your sinful nature. That really gets the party going. When I say sinful, you say nature. Sinful. Sinful. It doesn't get the party going. And here is where I believe are the biggest roadblocks to the promises of God. I have met with so many people over the last two years that are so much more aware of other people's sins than their own. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I met with somebody and they wanted to talk to me about them. I literally cannot remember. Matter of fact, if someone... Uh, I can have coffee all the time and typically... If, if, if someone that I don't know in the church wants to meet with me, they're going to talk to me about what somebody else is doing. Like somebody else's sinful nature. It is, and this is what the enemy does and I've done it. Somebody asked me the other day, um, great guy, asked me um, what I thought about the church and did I think that church leaders should be doing this and did I think church leaders should be doing that? And I said, you know, when I was in the pew like you, I also thought, that I knew everything about church and I knew what church pastors should be doing. But for some reason, when I got to the pulpit, that anointing left. And now I'm more confused than ever. So it would appear that the anointing the leader church is in the pew, not the pulpit. So you tell me what churches should be doing because honestly, I don't even know anymore. Isn't that weird? Like I, back then when I was, I'm telling you, and I told Pastor, when Pastor Philip was my pastor, I knew everything he should be doing. I knew the meetings he should make. I knew how he should spend money. No, I know how this ministry should be. When I was working for Philip, I knew everything. Like I knew what we should be doing with the money. I knew what we should be happening with Growth track. I knew exactly how to build great connect groups. I knew exactly. And then once, I, once they gave me the church, I got nothing. Nelson, remember last year we were in a meeting and I said, I got nothing. <laughs> remember that? I'm the leader of the church and I looked at our executive pastor and the whole team and said, I got nothing. And I realized that one of the reasons why I was getting no vision is because God wanted me to deal with some things in my own sinful nature. I'm trying to solve the problems that other people have in the church, and God's like, no, you have a problem, and I want to help you with you. And so I wanted to get better at addressing my own sinful nature. And we don't like the word sin in the church. And just so you know, the word sin is an archery term. It's not a spiritual term, it's an athletic term. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, And they play archery back in the day. Um, I would never trust someone who's good at archery, by the way, it's just like, if you just want to shoot arrows, like I I think of Cupid running around shooting arrows and only his draws, it's just not great. Like, I don't like it. You know what I mean? But back then, it was an archery term, and I guess men were archers, and they would shoot, and if they missed the bullseye, the referee would yell, sin, meaning you've missed the mark. And so the thing about sin is it means to miss the mark. And if you're missing the mark, it's obvious that you are trying to hit a mark, but you're missing it, and we all fall short. What is the mark we're trying to hit? The glory of God. We're not trying to hit human perfection. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we all sin. We all fall short of what? the glory, the fullness of God's goodness. So when you're sinning, you're falling short of a really good thing God wants to do. You're not falling short in your perfection and making God happy. God is happy. Jesus satisfied that when he died on the cross. You are falling short of the glory of God, the full goodness of God in your life. So what you are aiming for is not human perfection so you can brag to everybody and say, look at me, I'm righteous. Those people are bad. No, you are trying to get to the glory of God and you're falling short. That is sin. And so your sinful nature means that you naturally do something that falls short of God's glory. And the Holy Spirit helps you instinctively do something that engages God's glory. Do you see the difference? I'm going to say that again. Your sinful nature means you naturally do something that falls short of the glory of God. Your, Your your spirit nature means you instinctively do something that pleases god so when the bible says that um jesus refers to his followers as sheep they don't have instincts he has to tell them everything and so sometimes when you have people who run around every single day and say god said this god says that god said this god said that i know that they're a sheep because the shepherd always has to talk to sheep to get sheep to do something A son, it's in their instincts. So some of you feel like you're not hearing from God the way that you used to is because you've graduated from a sheep to a son or a daughter. Now, what you used to have to be told to do, you naturally do, so God doesn't have to say anything. He's too busy talking to the sheep, and now you, as a son or a daughter, have to help him talk to the sheep, and you don't hear from him as much because you're good. Sometimes the prophetic, not happening, is because you're good when David was doing good, did any prophet show up? No. When he's blessing the temple and doing all this and killing Goliath, there was no prophet. Like, David, grab his sword. I'm going to give you a prophetic word. If you grab his sword and you get... No, he instinctively grabbed five stones and put them in a slingshot because he knew. No one had to tell him he knew. But when he got lit and slept with Bathsheba, a prophet named Nathan came out of nowhere. So, sometimes the prophetic is to help us deal with our sinful nature, meaning God wants you to stop naturally doing. And this is why, in order to fill a church, sometimes we stop talking about sin because we don't understand that we're not talking about sin to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty. We're trying to help you not fall short of the goodness of God in your life. And so, them getting circumcised before the promise, our spiritual circumcision is dealing with the things in our sinful nature. And culture right now is trying to redefine what sin is. Can I just say that again? It's trying to redefine what sin is. And and I want you to write this down. If you don't get anything else, like I'm not here to argue about theology, but I'm going to tell you this, and I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you this. Whenever you redefine sin, you reassign some of the promises of God. Whenever you redefine sin, you reassign some of the promises of God, which means what? That there are certain things God wants to do with your life that He has to deal with that thing. Um, you know, I've got a chance to pastor people who are involved with things that culture says is awesome, and these are some of the most broken people that are not ready for the promises of God. And I have a job, a duty, an assignment. prepare you for what God has for you. and One of those assignments is to make sure that we have the proper definition of sin, not so that we can feel guilty or judge you, but so that we can guide you and lead you into the glory of God, because wherever the glory of God is, there's always God's goodness. That's what this is about. Joshua chapter 5 was a painful circumcision, because Joshua chapter 6 was a triumphant victory. I'm going to say that again. Joshua chapter five was a painful circumcision because Joshua chapter six was a triumphant victory. We could sing so many militaristic songs. We just sang one today and they're amazing. What's the song? You are my champion. Uh, Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle is won. I have not heard one worship song about circumcision. You cut away my flesh because you know what's best. Grab the knife and slice me up. Hope I don't die. That's so funny. That doesn't make a good worship song, does it? I would sing it. It's what we need. We need that moment that Rocky Balboa had with his trainer when he wanted to keep fighting. Cut me, Mick. Remember that? We need this stuff cut away out of our life, and it's not taught away. It's not preached away. It's cut away. And people say all the time, man, if, just, if pastors would just preach the truth, people would no, it's not preached away. It's cut away. It's painful to get rid of your sinful nature. I could preach until my lips are chapped and if you're not led by the holy spirit you won't stop sinning That's so good. it's not true it's not true watch this i know it's not true and i'm processing a bit but so many pastors pastors you need to preach the truth the truth if we could tell people the truth no sin is cut away not preached away It's cutaway. I want you to write this down. People operating in the flesh, which are human thoughts and actions unaided by God, determine what a pastor can and should preach. I'm going to say it again. People operating in the flesh, which means human thoughts and actions unaided by God, determine what a pastor can and should preach. So for all the people that are obsessed with the truth, I want to read you uh, 1 Corinthians 3. I believe in the truth, but I believe the truth is rolled out over a long term of discipleship. Paul believed it too. So if I'm lying, so is Paul. Because it says right here in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. It's right there. So Paul is thinking about, are you filled? Are you led by the spirit? Are you in your flesh? Because that determines the sermon I'm getting ready to preach to you. Do you want me to read it again? I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. There is nothing wrong with a steak from Mastro's unless you give it to a three-month-old. Then it's dumb. He says, I'm not giving you meat. You weren't ready. The truth of scripture is solid food. Paul said this, as a newborn mother nurses her child, so I have cared for you. A hairy backed Jewish man is comparing discipleship to breastfeeding? Why? Because he's like, I'm going to, uh, that's not a good visual. I'm gonna hold you like this. And I'm going to, Love on you until you're old enough to handle what is burning inside of me to tell you. Do you know the hardest thing for a pastor to do, if they're a pastor that really loves people, is to have the word of God burning, the truth of God burning in your soul for someone who won't be ready to hear it for five years. And if you're a good pastor, you do not submit to the burning. You submit to the spirit who would never have you tell something to someone who is not ready to hear it. And even now he says, you're not ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you heard of jealousy and strife in the church? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And so what Paul is saying is part of his job as a pastor is yes, to tell you the truth, but also to prepare you for the truth. Because there's these conversations that I'm going to have with my kids that if I had them now, I'm a fool. When I have them when they're 16, I'm a great dad. If I have them when they're two, I'm, a, I'm not as good of a dad. And so this is what I believe God is saying through Joshua chapter five, is that if my job is to prepare you for what God has for you, then we need to, on your, when I say we, not me, You in community, we can't be begging people to get in virtual groups anymore. We can't be begging people to get in connect groups. We can't beg people to read their word or show up on time because you need to be making sure that you're not operating in the flesh so that God can give me a word that would be hard for you in March, but you'll receive by September so that by November, you are walking in your Jericho where walls are falling down and you are entering into the promises of God. Does anybody want that? I do. I remember I had an old boss. He would tell me stuff all the time. And before he would tell me, he was um, a Jewish and Italian guy from New York. And he was like a mobster practically. And before he would tell me something, he would say, do you want me to tell you the California way or the New York way? And I would always pick the New York way. And I always regretted it. And as I processed that, I realized in, in this context of California church, there's a California way. He, even he knew there's a California way. And I'm starting to be convicted that I don't lead and pastor and preach the California way, but the kingdom way. The California way, there is no truth. You can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. God loves you. And yes, that's true. But God loves you enough to not give you something that will destroy you because you don't have enough truth to sustain. The Bible says God's words holds the universe together. And so God's word holds your blessings together. So without God's word, it'll all fall apart. And we want the walls of Jericho to fall apart, not your blessings. And so there is a movement, if you will, of spiritual cutting because blessing is coming. And the reason why they put you asleep before surgery is that you would jump off the table when you saw the tools, no one would ever go through with it. So the hard part about this is that um, lights and great video content and conferences with people spinning around sometimes ends up trying to be anesthesia for someone who doesn't want, but it is the pain that makes you respect the promise. So I have so much respect for what I do because of the pain I went through to be able to do it. And right now, God does not give anesthesia. He's pulling wisdom teeth out with not even some dang aura gel. He just snatch your teeth right out of your mouth and you don't even get no aura gel. And, and, and it's just because he doesn't want people to be in their flesh. I believe Oasis Church is going to pass the title of my message and it's called The Flesh Test that's the title of my message. and I didn't just come up with that right now. That is the title of my message, that before Joshua chapter 6 is coming, it is coming, and God is going to put you in a situation that is going to challenge you, you have to be led by the Spirit to deal with it. This person is going to anger you. And if and, and you're going to get upset, if you fly off the handle, it's going to cost you everything. If you, if you walk away from your family, it's going to cost you everything. If you walk away from your church in your flesh, it's going to cost you everything. If you quit your job, it's going to cost you everything. The flesh test is, is Joshua chapter 5. And everyone shouts when Joshua chapter 6 is preached. Everyone. But God did not put them in a situation where the walls came down in Jericho until the walls of their heart came down that sin had built. And so we have to deal um, with the sin in our life. Here's the good news. You know how we deal with the sin of our life? We don't. Jesus does. Because some of us are thinking like, well, what do I got to do? I mean, kind of nothing. It's kind of weird. Because you're forgiven of your sin and then you're set free of your sin and Jesus does it all. This is like the most complicated thing that we don't tell Christians is like, well, what role do I have? Jesus does it all. He forgives you of your sin and he sets you free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your role is to receive the Holy Spirit. You're in your flesh. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You're not a bad person. Well, yeah, you are. (laughs) But we're all bad. The reason why you think you're such a bad person is you think there's a good person out there that's better than you, and God is no respecter person. I got to just set somebody free. He's impressed with no one. He's impressed with no one. There's no one out there that God goes, now that's how you do it, right? The Bible says our righteousness as humans is filthy as rags before God. He only gives us the free gift of righteousness. So God's hate sin, you got to understand that. God hates sin and the devil with Adam and Eve gave God, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The devil gave God such a huge problem because he put what God hated in who he loved and he thought God would be perplexed. How do I get God to turn away from his people the way he's turned from me? And this is why the enemy hates you and I so much, because we have his old job. We're worshipers that's what the enemy used to do in heaven. And so the enemy tried to give God a profound problem. And it really was, I know that God hates sin and I know that he loves his people. So how do I get God to stop loving people? I gotta put what God le- hates in who he loves. And so then God had a profound problem. How do I get what I hate out of who I love? How do I get God's people out of Egypt? And then how do I get Egypt out of them? Egypt represents sin in the Bible. And God got them out of Egypt with signs and wonders, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And God got you out of sin, Egypt, through the cross. But now he's got to get the sin out of you. He got you out of the state of sin, like the state of Egypt. He no longer looks at you as a sinner. Now you are righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. This is the gospel. But but that is justification. No matter what you do, you could consider yourself the worst of sinners, as am I. Matter of fact, God has used me as a pastor to, to let you know that God is gracious to even the worst people. I'm a degenerate who got saved. I'm not better than anybody. And so he got me out of the state of sin and he views me the way he views Jesus and he views you the way he views Jesus because he views you through the lens of the cross. The cross is not just a piece of wood, it's a lens through which God views you and I. But now that he got us out of Egypt and we're in the promised land, we're getting ready to take hold of these things, now he's got to get Egypt, if you will, out of us. And that is called sanctification, whereby the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word collide together to get that stuff out of you because you were living in this space for so long it's not just on you it's in you and then now he gets that out of you so that when you go into the things that god has for you like we talked about last week you don't bring your flesh into it you bring the spirit into it and so you think God would give us this responsibility to where now that I've saved you and I've got you out of the state of sin, now you have to get the sin out of you. But no, you have to stop operating in your flesh. People are probably thinking right now, I got to stop operating in my flesh. I got to stop. If you just said, I, that's not the gospel. If you said, yep, I got to stop doing that, then you're, you're not, I'm not talking to you. You're still on the at last step. Because watch what he says in Acts chapter 2. This was the start of the church. Do you hear, the start of the church was not a gathering. Why are we so addicted to this? The start of the church was not a Bible study. Great, those stuffs are amazing. The start of the church was not, the start of the church was Acts chapter two. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So who is the perfect candidate for revival? Who is the perfect candidate for grace? Who is the perfect candidate for the greatest move of God LA has ever seen and this nation has ever seen? Someone who is operating in their flesh. So if you are operating in your flesh and aren't letting God help you with anything, God says you're perfect because I'm getting ready to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And most people who miss the outpouring either A, think they don't have any flesh or B, They're trying to do it themselves. And God said, I got the solution. You're in your flesh. I don't need you to do anything. I'm going to pour out my spirit on your flesh, on the things that are unaided by God. The flesh is unaided by God. And so I should have named this message. I just want to help you. Because at the end of the day, when we talk about flesh and sin, everybody goes to what they can do. Everybody goes to what they need to stop doing. But Acts chapter two is literally a prophecy where God's saying, if I thought you could do it by yourself, I would ask you to do it by yourself, but I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on your flesh. And now you're gonna be in partnership with God at all times. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll teach you how to do this. This is not on you. It's on me. The cross is on me. The Holy Spirit's on me. I will help you. All you have to do is not be so prideful, and let me do it, and I'll bring transformation to your life. This, my friends, is the flesh test. Before Jericho comes, we got to pass it, and I believe that you will. I believe in you. I know God believes in you. You're here for a purpose. You can do this. Yield your life to the Holy Spirit. Yield your thinking to the Holy Spirit. Let him have your emotions. Let him have your decisions, and I believe that God is going to move mightily in transformation in your life and prepare you for what God has for you. So, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on all flesh so that we may be able to do your will and think your thoughts and be like you and, 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 and love people and, and, and live out the calling of God on our lives. And Lord, we ask you to do these things in Jesus' name, amen.